please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're continuing on our verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Corinthians. This is our sixth message on this text. I have entitled the message for today in chapter 4, God, not man, is the final judge of the preacher. And boy, thank God for that too, by the way. But now remember where we are. The Apostle Paul is still dealing with the problems of divisions in the church at Corinth over personalities. And he's already shown the Corinthian believers that the divine nature of the gospel, which demonstrates the wisdom of God, precludes the exhortations of the messengers of that message above the message. And he gives a strong warning also to preachers who fail to remain true to the gospel and teach erroneous doctrine, because that is what is happening in Corinth. But now, in chapter 4, he shows that the Corinthians are in no position, spiritual position, to judge God's servants. Lest they, the Corinthians, usurp the authority of God himself. And in doing so, Paul is reminding them of their spiritual stunted growth. Because they have stopped at the point of justification in their lives and not gone on to sanctification. And they're stunted. And their selfish, carnal behavior demonstrates the fact that they've stopped at justification and not moving on to sanctification in their lives. You see, the Corinthians were confused about the role of the preacher leaders that worked among them, including Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. There were others there as well. But they were confused about their job description. They were confused about not only the nature of the gospel, but also the nature of the position of the pastor teachers who came into their community. And this was causing a lot of problems in the church. They were choosing sides when it came to preachers. And they were choosing based on looks and how a person presented the message. Broadly speaking, remember, they looked at Apollos. Apollos was a polished speaker. Something like me. No, no, he's just the opposite of he's polished. I'm still trying to get polished. But he was an orator. He was what we would call today a motivational speaker. He was a charismatic speaker. He could hold your attention. Now, he had a little problem with the content of the message at the beginning, because remember, Priscilla and Aquila had to pull him aside and get him straight on some doctrine. But boy, even though he didn't have the content right, He had the delivery right. And the people were not looking at the content, they were looking at the delivery. Don't we do that today? Most people who are attracted to preachers is not because of what they preach, it's because how they preach it and how they look. And that's what's happening in Corinth, you see. In other words, Paul now is going to explain the role of the true preacher He's going to tell them whose evaluation the preacher really counts, when that evaluation is to be done, and how it is to be done. That's what he's going to be talking about. 
And he uses himself and Apollos as examples of true leaders of the church of God's people. And he leaves here some examples and principles that should be applied in every local church around the world, including Calvary Bible Church. Principles. Let's begin then to see what God has to say to us from this amazing book. And as per usual, we will proceed verse by verse, and in fact, even word by word at times. He begins the section by stating the job description of the true ministers of the gospel. This is what he says in verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What a fantastic passage. I love this. Here's how I paraphrase that. He's saying to the Corinthians, now here's how you really should look at Apollos, Cephas, and myself. We are lowly slaves of Christ who were given the responsibility of managing and handling the word of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is how you are to see the preachers of the word of God. Remember now, the Corinthians were dividing the church over who is the best preacher or pastor at Corinth. Paul had just told them that they were looking at them as though they were owners of the gospel and that they own the ministry of the church. In other words, Paul is saying, you have forgotten God who is the real boss and looking at the servants and making them to be the boss. You've got your eyes of God and you put it on his servants. That's sin. That's what Paul is saying. Because he says you're doing that from a carnal, fleshly attitude. You're doing it as though you've never been saved. Now, he's re-emphasizing this point. In fact, Paul is saying, let, it, let me put you straight regarding our job description. You see, what you have done, you've selected one or the other of us, and you've put one or the other of us on a pedestal above the others. He's saying that is error. That is sinful. And it distorts the purposes of God for his church. This isn't a little matter Paul is trying to emphasize here. He says, in effect, as far as the preachers of the gospel are concerned, the apostles included, we are nothing more than lowly slaves and messengers of the truth that God has revealed to us, especially as related to the church. That's what he's saying here. He says, understand it properly. Notice the text. Regard us as servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now the word for servants here is a Greek word meaning slave. Actually, a slave rower in the lower part of the ship. That's what the word really refers to. A galley slave. He works down in the bottom of the ship and he cannot row the way he wants. He has to row the way the captain tells him how to row. See the point? That's the word that he uses here. He has to do exactly what the captain says. The captain was guiding the ship, not the rower. The rowers were not in charge. The captain was. Paul is trying to get them to put their eyes on Christ, not the messenger that he sent. You understand what I'm saying? 
And he's going to be emphasizing that. And because he emphasizes it, I am going to emphasize it. Now the second word here is the word steward. Now a steward was also a slave. But he was a slave who manages his master's possessions. Now they had the responsibility of handling everything that belonged to the boss, the owner of the house. But they didn't own it. They were managers, but they didn't own it. Very important here now. This is Paul's point. He's saying again to the Corinthians, your focus should not be on the steward. Your focus should be on the owner of the house, Jesus Christ, not his messenger boys. That's what he's saying. Now the mysteries of God. It's another beautiful concept. The mysteries of God refers specifically to the revelation that God has made known to the apostles and prophets in the New Testament concerning his plan and purpose for the church. Specifically. These mysteries were something that God had given to them. They were responsible for distributing these divine truths by proclaiming and teaching them to the ends of the earth. You see, a mystery were truths that were not formally revealed, but now revealed through the apostles and prophets. And now, Paul is saying, that's our responsibility. That's our job description. Here it is, God's treasures have to do with his word. And in the context, it means having to do with his word of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of the cross. We talked about that. Those are the treasures of God. And he says, now I've chosen these men and make them shorts of these treasures. And they are responsible to distributing those treasures the way I tell them to do it, not the way they want to do it. That's what it means to be shorts of the mysteries of God. By the way, that's my job description also. That's the job description of every true preacher of the word of God. To manage, to distribute the treasures of God's word to his people. That's it. Now, as much as you may not like what I'm going to say, i got to say it anyway because it comes in his text. I don't work for you. I work for Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? My main job responsibility, according to this mystery that God has revealed to the apostles, is to dispense the word of God to you. That's my job description. I'm not here to pamper you. Sorry about that. I'm not here to make you feel good, although I hope you could do it when we preach the word of God, you feel good about the word. But that's not my purpose. I'm not here to bow to your every whim and wish dependent upon your likes and dislikes. You see, that's what happened with Corinth. And that's why they had all the problem they did. Because they wanted these preachers to preach the way they wanted them to preach. And to do what they wanted them to do. You say, Pastor Lee, that's mean, man. You shouldn't talk to us like that. That's an awful thing to say. Well... Listen to how the inspired Apostle Paul puts it. He states in verse 2, the primary overriding obligation of slaves and managers of the word of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Brief statement, isn't it? But powerful. Here's how I paraphrase it. Not only that, you Corinthians... God demands just one thing from us as his slaves. 
obedience, trustworthiness, faithfulness. Faithfulness to him by handling the wealth of his word in a trustworthy manner. That's all God demands of his servants. Truthfulness to handling, distributing the treasures of his word. Paul then goes right for the jugular, like that young people like to say. He goes right for the jugular of the prideful, schismatic preacher, chaser, Corinthians, who are pitting one preacher against another based upon their looks and their oratory skills and judging their worthiness on that basis. And in doing so, the apostle gives the basic biblical reason for the way in which preachers should be evaluated. He tells us exactly who are to do, who is to do it, who should do it, and who shouldn't do it, and when it should be done. Now hold your breath for this. Hear the word of God. To me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. That's quite a statement to make to your congregation who's always judging you. This is what Paul is saying. My paraphrase. It really doesn't matter to me what you, or for that matter, the public thinks of me. Because in the final analysis, even my own personal evaluation doesn't count. That's what he says. He says, I don't care what you think. I don't care what the world thinks. In fact, even what I think do matter. That's his bottom line. You see, in one sense, Paul is trying to do, as we say, to put the Corinthians in their place. And I'm glad he's doing that, and not me. You see, the Corinthians thought that they could intimidate Paul, and Apollos, and all of them, but especially Paul, by their criticism of him personally, and of the apostles as well. They thought they could intimidate Paul to make him do what they wanted him to do. Paul says, no way, Jose. That's not going to happen. A second century description of Paul described him in this way, and I quote it now. Paul was a man small in size, with meeting eyebrows, and a rather large nose. <laughs> now be quiet. <laughs> now this one don't fit. Ball-headed, bow-legged, Strongly built, but full of grace. At times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel. That's how a first century, or rather second century description of the Apostle Paul, somebody was close to him. Now the, first, the Corinthians seemed to emphasize the first part of that. Paul was an ugly man as far as he was concerned. Bow-legged, couldn't see. All that kind of stuff. That you, as we go along, you'll see them making all these charges against him. We don't want this kind of man to be our preacher, to be our pastor. He ain't look right. Now notice, now Paul then in this passage identifies the source of criticisms of the preachers. Look at verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now notice, the first source of judgment are the members of the church at Corinth. He says, I know you're judging me, but I already know what you think of me. 
But I want you to know also that what you think of me doesn't matter one bit. Now, that's not arrogant, isn't it? I didn't say that. That's a, that's a detective. Look at it. But he isn't saying this because he is arrogant, as many of you probably think I am right now. He's saying it because this is the part of the mysteries of God that God has revealed to him concerning the church. And he is teaching them what these mysteries mean. The Corinthians were ignorant of them at this time. Here's how one commentator of this passage puts it, and I quote, The preacher leader is not the property of the congregation. They do not set the agenda for him. His role is not to serve the congregation, but to fulfill his role as a servant steward of Christ by teaching them the mysteries of God. You cannot be an effective preacher leader unless you serve Christ rather than the people you're leading. Those who view the church as their employer usually leave because they wear out or becomes what Paul calls the air tickler. Those who are adept at telling people what they want to hear instead of what God says. This is a betrayal of the preacher leader's responsibility to Jesus Christ as a steward. End of quote. My friends, I promise you with God's help, I will not be that kind of a pastor preacher who just preach what you want to hear and to tickle your ear. That'll never happen. At least by God's grace it'll never happen. I need your prayers on that behalf. But now he goes on to the second source of critical evaluation. It's the general public. It's not only a congregation who judges the preacher, it's the public. Paul describes them as any human court. Notice the metaphor. Human court. What do you go to a court for? To be judged. That's what you go to court for. We may say society or the community. And so the church leaders, like the apostles, is always subject to the judgment, evaluation, and critical judgment of the community in which they live. But Paul says the same thing. I don't care what the community thinks. Now you say that's arrogant. No, no. Paul is making a point here. He's more concerned about what God thinks about what he's doing than what the public thinks of what he's doing. What Paul is saying is, the public is not going to shape my agenda for preaching the word. The public is not going to shape my agenda for what we do in our local assembly. That needs to be done today. Churches are bowing to the community. They want the church to become a social institution. That's all. Whenever we get up to preach against sin, why are you going to tell us what to do? Isn't that right? If the church would bow to the wishes of the community, the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be preached. And there will be no such thing as living holy lives. None. See, that's one of the problems I have with the so-called seeker-sensitive concept. They shape their services according to what the public likes. This is what he's preaching against. They don't do that. You preach and shape your service according to how God tells you to deliver that message. You've got to be true 
to the word of the cross. That's what he's saying. But then Paul says, there's another source of judgment. That's myself. He says, now I got to look what I preach and what I do. And I said, boy, I'm doing okay. He says, oh, that doesn't matter. You could think all the best you want of your life, but what you think doesn't matter. In the final analysis, the only judgment that matters is the judgment and evaluation of God upon your ministry. Because he is the one that you're serving. You are his slave. It's the mysteries that belong to him that you are dispensing. Verse 4. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now then Paul, based on this, now goes on to tell them exactly when judgment should and will take place. Look at verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And will disclose the purpose of the heart. Now, sometimes we take this out of the context and we apply it to everything in our lives. You could do that in principle. But in context, it has to do with the preacher handling the word of God. Why am I preaching to you? What are my motives? Why am I doing it? Paul is saying that every word that I preach as a preacher is going to be evaluated by the one who gave me the word to preach. And every hidden motive, desire, is going to be revealed. That's who he's talking to in this passage. Each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, I love that. He didn't say you can receive judgment from God. But commendation. In other words, the apostles and preachers' judgment takes place when Christ comes back. For the believer, that's the judgment seat of Christ, the beam of following the rapture. At that time, Jesus will reveal the true motives of his servants and stewards. Now, in context, it meant Paul, Cephas, and Apollos. And way of, way of application, it means me. There's a day coming that will try my secrets, my secret sins, the secret sins of my heart. God is going to evaluate them. This is why James says, don't let every one of you be teachers, my brethren. Why? Because the judgment is greater. That's why I don't think people who like to get up and preach just to get up and preach understand what preaching is all about. We're going to be judged more severely than those who hear what we preach. This is what Paul is talking about. That's why he says the only thing that God is demanding of the preacher, teacher, the pastor, is faithfulness to him. Not faithfulness to people, not even faithfulness to himself, but faithfulness to Jesus Christ and the word of God. That's it. Notice what he says in verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Powerful words. You see, the Corinthians 
were not forming parties only around Apollos and Paul and Cephas, but others who were coming in the church as well. But Paul says, now, that may be true, but I want to just apply what I'm saying to Apollos and to me. Because it seems that they were the two who were getting most of the criticism. Paul transferred the entire matter to himself and Apollos, so that by their examples, the saints would learn not to put their leaders on a pedestal, one against the other. He wanted the saints to evaluate everything and everyone according to the word. He says, don't go beyond what is written. We take that out of context at times. We read that and we understand what it means. But first, look what he says. Why am I talking to you like this? You think I'm being arrogant. But I'm being faithful. And it's for your benefit. See, he doesn't say that in the text. Not for his benefit. It's for their benefit. He's saying that they would profit most from their leaders if they truly understand the nature of their ministry and who it is to whom they are finally responsible and accountable to. It's not to them, it's to God. If you could understand that, your evaluation would be different. He's simply saying this, folks. Don't take your eyes of Jesus Christ and put it on his servant boys, his messengers. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's what he's, that's all he's saying. Don't take your focus off Jesus Christ and put it on his servants. You're always going to have divisions when you do that. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author, the completed, the finisher of our faith, if we all keep our eyes on him, then unity will result. The only time that disunity, divisions, and schisms come into church is when we take our eyes of Jesus Christ and put it on his servants. But then he says, judge doctrine above personalities. Judge doctrine above personalities. That's why he says, don't go beyond what is written. Judge what is taught, not motives, why it is taught. That's how they will avoid going beyond what is written and going into things and matters that you cannot otherwise objectively make because if you take your eyes of what is written you come up with your own standards and your own standards change day by day but if you keep your eyes on what is written and you make your judgment based on what is written you got a different standard Do you understand what he's saying don't go beyond what is written now morality of course reveals whether or not we are holding to true doctrine. So morality could well be judged according to the word of God. In fact, failure to do this could be dangerous to our Christian life. Because then we could follow and support leaders whose lives contradict what they teach. This is a serious passage of scripture Paul is talking about here. Now, he concludes this section by warning that if you do, in fact, base your support or lack thereof of a church leader upon his motives rather than his life or doctrine, you'll become prideful and divisive. 
And that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Now Paul was implying, of course, that their problems of disunity and factions resulted from their fleshly pride and favoritism. That's what he's talking about here. And the next section now, he's going to deal with the arrogance. He's saying, you're putting yourself above us and almost above God. We're going to deal with that next time, Lord willing. But the warning for us, all of us, is let us be sure that we, because of our own pride and favoritism, take our eyes of Jesus Christ and put it on his servants. Because that always results in divisions within the church. Not only that, it demonstrates that the people who are doing it, the persons who are doing it, are carnal, they're fleshly, these are all biblical terms, and they're full of pride. That's what the text says. Look at it. Here's the warning. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That's what they were doing. Notice, that none of you may be puffed up. They were in favor of one against the other. That's what they were doing. And Paul is trying to correct it. And he's being up front with the word of God. He's dispensing the truth of God that God has given him. And by God's grace, that's what I intend to do. Why? Because I'm being faithful to the word. And also, it's for your benefit. Please bow with me. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Help us to be faithful to it. Because when we are, then we can be assured of your promise that your word will not return to you void or empty or without profit. But it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Lord, thank you for perfecting your purpose through your word today. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, not man. And help us, our Father, not to go beyond what is written. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.